Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is someone rather unusual. It's Tom Parker from Atomly. He offers webinars as a service, and he also has a sales consultancy called The Sales Architect. He focuses on helping people understand what a marketing qualified lead really is to your business and how important it is to your revenue contribution. We're going to be talking about how much your future pipeline is really worth to you. You know, what's a 100K mid-stage deal really going to yield? Is the content that you're producing matched to your audience or have you even targeted the right audience? And, you know, we'll be looking at blind spots like perfectionism, uh, the burden of data management, not sticking uh, with the process long enough uh, to make it work. So, Tom, welcome. Thanks, Marcus. Great to be here. Excellent. Would you mind giving us 60 seconds on your history, please? Absolutely, yeah. So, brief brief history. Studied economics at university about 10 years ago. Then I went into corporate, worked for Intel for a few years, um, looking at their kind of supply and demand macroeconomics, um, helping them to understand what was going on in the market and how much supply they needed to produce and where it needed to be distributed to. So I've got quite a quite a healthy background in data, data management. Then I moved to a market research company based in London about seven years ago. Then really from there, just kind of got into sales. I managed a product, um, a forecasting product for a while. Ended up being the only person that could sell it in the business that I worked for at the time. Got into sales. And then I've last six years or so, I've been doing various different sales and marketing jobs in around London, for mostly for startups, prop tech startups, fintech startups, workflow software companies. And those have all been, you know, fractional and interim roles at the same time as running the sales architect, which is my consulting business that primarily focuses on go-to-market strategies for small businesses. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so let's start with that initial question. First of all, what is an MQL for those people who don't really know the terminology? Sure. So MQL stands for Marketing Qualified Lead. The problem with that is that it's very subjective. So if you ask one person, what is an MQL to you? They might say, in the context of webinars, for example, they might say, well, it's someone that's registered for my webinar. If you ask someone else, even someone else in the same business, so for example, asking the sales guys instead of the marketing guys what they see an MQL as, they would say, well, it's someone that actually turned up to the webinar or someone that actually engaged with the Q&A on the webinar, for example. So the problem with MQLs really is, what are they? What do they do for your business? And who should be in charge of defining what an MQL is and what it does for your business? So you've asked uh, really the next best question. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you define uh, what an appropriate MQL is? It depends on your business model. For me, lots of marketeers define it far too loosely. So like I said, someone that registers for a webinar Nowadays, it's so easy to register for a webinar. It's so easy to engage with top of funnel content. You know, it's it's almost like um, you know the recruitment challenge that we've got on LinkedIn at the moment with easy apply. You can click one button and you've applied for a job. It's exactly the same problem with MQLs. People can engage with an email, or they can click on a CTA in an email, or they can register for a webinar. And marketing consider that as an MQL. Realistically, we think. Atomly that an MQL needs to go further than that. It needs to have an element of, you know, an element of activity, an element of engagement between the audience and the company that's 
selling or content marketing, whatever it is, people really need to understand what is an MQL? Is the MQL definition that we're using today actually pulling pipeline through or not? The easiest way to do that is to look at the conversion stats. Say, you know, a good MQL conversion rate to SQL is maybe 30 to 40%. If you're operating at 10% from marketing uh, marketing qualified to sales qualified, then your MQL definition is probably far too loose. So it needs to be an aligned definition between sales and marketing, because ultimately a marketing qualified lead ends up in the hands of sales. So sales need to have a contribution towards what that definition actually is. Okay. So a couple of terms that you use, CTA, call to action for anyone who's not familiar with that, and an SQL is a sales qualified lead. Again, when when we think about the way the webinar process can fuel both the targets of marketing and sales, it makes me really uh, worry that there isn't enough alignment between the two functions. Because just by the very definition being wrong, it probably means that marketing is targeting a whole load of the wrong people. Because one of the things that I've seen time and again, there were two companies I saw last year both of them were getting a 1,000 inbound leads off their website each month. And on average, they closed six. Yeah. <laughs> but all 1,000 had to be followed up. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's, that's the issue around too loose a definition because ultimately, if, if marketing is presenting a lead to sales and they're saying that this is qualified in our mindset, this is a qualified lead, like you say, sales have to then go and follow all of those up. What you really need to do is operate a bit of a sort of fork workflow process where you say loosely qualified needs to be continued to be nurtured, i.e. they need to go back into some kind of marketing funnel and they need to be bashed around that, that system for a couple more weeks or a couple more months, depends on your buying cycles. The ones that really are qualified should end up with a sales rep. A call should be booked on their behalf so that they're actually speaking to that person. You're not just throwing leads over the fence and saying, hey, go book this call yourself because they don't have the established relationship with that MQL typically. These are the kind of challenges that we're trying to help people solve by getting them to think of an MQL as something that's actually more advanced. And we use the term AQL, something that we've invented, atomly qualified lead. People that go through a webinar, engage with a webinar, fill out the survey at the end of the webinar and say that they find the content interesting, that they think you could be potentially solve a problem for them and that they have the same problems that you're looking to solve. Now, if they that, say those that's things, decent, that's qualified. That's a decent suspect. That is a really beautifully qualified suspect. And this is where I think people really have to uh, be clear about the difference between a lead, a suspect, a prospect, a qualified prospect, a closable prospect, and then a customer and a client. And there isn't enough clarity about the difference. And so leads and suspects and prospects are all thrown in together. And the way CRM works is, first of all, the way your manager works is they beat you with a stick and tell you you need more pipeline. So you put more pipeline in, and the moment it goes into the CRM, it then asks you for a close date, which you have to then make up because you've got no idea. And because you've been rushing to try and fill your quota of meetings and keep your mortgage paid, you haven't actually got a proper pipeline. So you're spending an awful lot of time feeding bullshit up the ladder to your manager, who then has to downgrade your pipeline 
because most of it is fiction. He knows it, you know it. But yeah. because of the way you're managed and you're paid, you have to lie. What exactly. Fucking awful waste of time and effort. A lot of what I do with the sales architect is CRM sort of implementation and optimization. And we use HubSpot a lot. We're a HubSpot certified partner. And a lot of our clients use HubSpot. And there is a field in HubSpot called lifecycle stage. This is where you look at the contacts status in your pipeline effectively. There is in the middle of the, in the ladder there, you've got MQL and SQL. The number of times that I've gone into a HubSpot environment, they've got 17,000 leads, 200 customers, and there's nothing in between. And there's, you know, how, how do you differentiate between what you and I might call very low value prospect or a suspect versus someone that's actually a genuine qualified lead actually has buying intent, is in the market to buy in the next three months, whatever it is that you define as being sales qualified. It has to be a difference between those things. And often there isn't. And people are just chasing huge volumes of what I would consider to be a prospect, not a, not a lead at all. The amount of time that sales and marketing waste on non-prospects, people who are either making space and they're just looking because they realize that maybe there's something out there or they're learning how and they're in that passive looking stage. If you approach them with a sales call at that point, you're just, the timing is wrong. And that's where the CRM gets filled up with crap like left voicemail, call back in six months and that kind of stuff, which is why most of the content in the CRM is utterly worthless. Now, the challenge here is when we understand the difference between a suspect and a prospect, a prospect in my book has to meet five minimum criteria, but I love what uh, the way you're going about it. In my world, they must be in your target market, sweet spot. They have a pain you can fix today, not tomorrow, not in five years' time in your you know, blue sky vision. You're dealing with a decision maker today who is willing and able to make the decision to buy. Yep. You're dealing with a decision maker who is willing and able to give you access to the people, the estate, the resources, the information that you need to qualify for both sides. And they're working towards a clearly defined timetable for breaking ground on the project and realizing the better future, the benefit, the outcome. Yeah. Then they're a prospect because that's viable. Mm. Now I know they're serious. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the viability is crossing the threshold of viability is exactly what puts you in that potentially qualified. You still have to go and do the qualification because you, know, you can identify, for example, that you're speaking to the decision maker just by doing desk research and preparing for the call properly. When you actually get on the call, is there someone else that's not on LinkedIn that's actually above them who holds the budget, for example? Or you, know, you might assume that you're speaking to a champion because they say that they're well-networked within the business. But then when you actually do the test and say, okay, well, who can you bring along to the next call then? And they they don't have any names for you, right? So it's all about actually validating what you assume to be qualification. And that's what I think webinars do really well if you can survey them at the end and get that buying intent and that understanding of where they're at in the buying cycle. You can actually understand that. And they have a reason to exchange that information with you because you've just delivered 40 minutes of great content to them. So they feel that they should be giving you something back in the form of a survey response. Interesting. There is a call to action at the end 
that I came across, which is three simple questions. And they claim that they have about a 90% uh, booking rate for follow-on calls. Now, obviously, you want to qualify in and out. But the idea of being able to sell one to many and to then be able to pre-qualify, the amount of time that saves is just astronomical. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if you if you think about average attendance on a webinar could be 70 to 100 people if you're doing a pretty good job. And that would be consistent. You might get some people returning after last month's webinar, they might be returning, but hopefully you've got net new audience in, in your webinars as well, if you're doing it as part of a long-term series. If you can qualify in and out people from that list, then you are not wasting your time. Say 30 out of those 70 people answer the survey, give you positive buying intent, qualify themselves. Those are the 30 people that your SDR team needs to call, needs to you know follow up with, be a little bit more, well, it depends on your selling practices, but maybe a bit more high pressure, a bit more educational with those types of people in a more direct one-to-one way. Well, the rest of them, they're not qualified. They can go into the next webinar and when they're ready to buy, then they'll announce themselves and they'll be ready to follow up at that stage instead. Interesting, because I, I think the role, certainly within the enterprise space uh, where people are making strategic sales, I think the role of the SDR or the person who's doing the follow-up calls is quite different. Their responsibility at that point, I think, is to engage, ask a few judiciously targeted questions to get the conversation going and then use that as a springboard to network into the rest of the organization and get referred. Because again, that will increase your conversion rate by over 3x because you're selling warm instead of cold. But the really smart thing at this next stage is to try and work out who is already solving problems for them, who's selling to them already and see if you can get referred in by then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, you know, there's so many different qualification methodologies out there. I mean, I I was trained back in my early sales career to use Medic or MedPick, um, but there are half a dozen other potential methodologies that could be used and all of them get you to a certain level of understanding of your prospect or your leads. Buying intent, decision-making power, budget, buying cycles, et cetera, all the stuff that you need to know. But realistically, yeah, the, the job of a, an SDR can vary massively depending on the funnel that came immediately before their role. And with a, with a webinar, you've already got some information. You can use the content of the webinar as a hook to have a conversation because obviously they were interested in, for example, the last webinar that we did was how to run a marketing campaign before a webinar. People came to it and obviously we know off the back of that that they've had trouble attracting an audience to a webinar. So then we can have a conversation about that and we know the follow-up questions that we need to ask them. Say so that the role can vary, the qualification methodology can vary, but at the end of the day, you need to decide as a business what are the three or four key pieces of information that you need to get out of that and not to over-egg the pudding on the first call after a webinar, for example. Get them into a buying cycle that extends a bit further. Don't piss them off too early, basically. <laughs> So how much of, uh, this is a very cheeky question, tell me to fuck off and die. How much of your business actually comes through uh, webinar and using your own uh, webinar as a service process? Probably 75%, I'd say. So we, we've just started doing our own webinar uh, marketing activities. So we're, we're two webinars into a four-part series. 
but we ran webinars for our early customers at the end of last year and the start of this year. And a lot of our other customers or our other prospects, opportunities came from watching those webinars and seeing the fact that it, this webinar was run by Atomly, right? So I would say almost all of it. We do a little bit of out, like supplementary outbound multi-channel yeah. outbound activity as well to fill the gaps. And that's we can talk about that in a sec. It's really important to have that parallel activity, not just to rely solely on webinars because that doesn't work on its own. But yeah, it's probably 75% of the rest of it's word of mouth through watching a webinar, which in an indirect way is still from the webinar and a tiny bit from outbound. But yeah, mostly webinars, yeah. It's really, really interesting because I, I see a lot of the old school dinosaurs um, you know, wedded to a particular uh, approach or limited cluster. And I think nowadays you've got to be so much more versatile and you, you've, you have to meet your customers where they are, not where you want them. That's the first rule of you know, selling and marketing. And you've got to spend more time thinking as the customer. I think there, there is a wealth of really good marketing ideas that you can lift simply by looking at what webinars and conference talks are being run and what are the questions that people want to have answered. Um, so pl plug into the webinar scene, plug into the podcast, because they will tell you what your customers want to know about. Absolutely. I mean, LinkedIn, for all its faults, one of the great strategies that we've used over the last year or so is to promote our customers' webinars and our own webinars. We look at other events on LinkedIn that cover you know, a peripheral or parallel topic to what we want to cover or our customer wants to cover. And we go and invite the audience of someone else's webinar to our webinars because we know that they're in the market to learn about something because last week they just watched a webinar on a similar topic or an adjacent topic. So it's, it's a great strategy. And like you say, it's, it's possible to pull down a list of using various technologies, pull down it or just eyeballing it, pull down a list of people that have attended other events, watched other podcasts, commented on thought leaders' posts or videos that they've put up on on social media, it's possible to, to scrape that information and then use that as a hook to invite them. Hey, first name, I saw that you went to X last week. We're covering some really similar topics that we think would be of value. Why don't you come along to our podcast webinar as well and, and see what we have to say on the topic? And th so this is really interesting. One of my uh, mathematician friends who's got a brain the size of whatever the big planets are, Neptune, I think, isn't it? It's pretty huge. He says that the data suggests that this, the biggest, most lucrative deals are in the third generation of a seller's network. Now, that's really interesting because it's not the first, it's not the second, which is the one that we're taught by most LinkedIn you know, thought leaders to go after. It's how do you get access to that third generation? And by third, do you mean the network of your immediate connections network? Yeah. So three, three steps removed. Okay. Yeah. Three steps removed from you. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to see if other people are seeing you know, that pattern out there because the, yeah. the, the, the data that, that he was looking at was certainly showing it. Yeah, so, so that's, that's exactly what we do. We, we go and web scrape the audience of another webinar, for example. You know, some of the successful webinars that have a rolling audience might have a thousand um, attendees or registrants on those webinars. And then, yeah, quite often, I would say probably... 60-70% of that audience is a third, what, what LinkedIn would call a third party connection, third generation connection. And I think you're right, you know, if 
I guess the logic goes, if you were directly in contact with that person, you probably would have spoken to them already, or you probably would have been introduced to them already. So by the very nature of the fact that you're not directly connected with them, the whales probably are in that third phase. It's all about how you engage with those people. And then part of our process is to say, well, come along to this webinar, but we're also connecting with them on LinkedIn, sending them some useful content, directing them towards other resources. So we're providing value, not just come to our webinars, but also come and be part of my network. It's worth being part of my network so you can grow that initial, like that immediate network. And then you can tap into an even larger third, third generation network. So by, by you have any stats on the bump in LinkedIn connections that come off the back of uh, the webinars that you've been running for clients? Yeah, so, so I, like I said, we do a bit of general sort of cold outreach which doesn't perform very well compared to webinar-based outreach. So basically what we do is we put on a webinar and we use the invite to the webinar as a hook to engage for the first time a prospect or a suspect. So we find, generally speaking, you can get to about 50 to 60% connection acceptance rates on LinkedIn if your first message is, hey, I saw that you went to this other webinar, we're running something similar, or we talk about the same topics come and connect with us compared to, I mean, it's been dropping off a lot recently, but compared to something maybe like a 15 to 25% connection rate for the standard connection, you know, oh, hey, I saw you were part of someone's network. Why don't you be part of mine as well? If you were to lead with a question that went off the back of that previous seminar before you invite them to the webinar, how do you think that might land? We haven't tried it, but I think it would be probably even more successful, yeah, because it shows... I mean, a lot of the tactics that we use in the early days, it's a peek behind the curtain, I suppose, if I should say this, but in the early days, we were actually going to those webinars for the full length of, of the webinar, taking notes, understanding exactly what was covered so that in the second message after you've connected with them, you can make reference to like some of the key takeaways. What we do now, any good webinar, if you're part of their distribution list, mailing list, you will get the three key takeaways afterwards with the recording so rather than actually going live yeah. to the webinar which obviously saps a lot of time for our team we just scan through the uh, the follow-up email that you get afterwards and we regurgitate those sort of three key takeaways but we've never tried positioning it as a question so hey did you find topic x useful as as part of that last webinar well, that you uh, went yeah, to i'm um, uh, curious uh, noticed you commented about x wondered was it because or because you know, something like that to just stimulate the conversation. Yeah. We've noticed that the connection rates are particularly high when you connect with um, commenters, people that comment and like on thought leadership posts. So that's another strategy that we use. It's either, hey, notice that you went to this webinar last week, come and connect with us. Or it's, hey, notice that you follow this thought leader. We cover similar topics, follow us. Doing it with groups on LinkedIn is less performing. We, we find that, hey, we're both part of the same group. Let's connect. Yeah. It, it doesn't quite resonate as well. If you spend the time to customize the message, you're going to get much better responses. 90% of what we do is automated or right. at least semi-automated. And we're getting 50 plus percent connection rates in sub-campaigns. So it still works if well, you put in 50, that extra effort. But the other 50, if they're in your sweet spot, then do it. You know, do the personalization, the manual. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. Really interesting. When I talk to sales leaders, the, the emphasis tends to be on this quarter and next quarter. And scant emphasis historically has been placed on medium to long-term pipeline. 
Now, certainly with larger deals, when you're selling strategic solutions, it's not going to be transactional. You've got to get out of that mindset. So in terms of nurturing and building and uh, recognizing when you need to turn up along the buyer's journey in the, to build that medium and long-term pipeline, what, what are you advising clients to do in order to set, set themselves up to do that, first of all, and shift their thinking? Yeah, so what we tend to do in the sort of sales architects consultant, go-to-market consulting that I do, I talk about cyclical marketing strategies, typically over a period of a quarter we would advise that people have two or three different types of funnel that they operate on a quarterly basis. And then they recycle those two or three funnels every quarter and refresh that campaign, maybe with a different audience or a different content. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're going from January to March, Q1, middle of February, you run a webinar. Say the four weeks running up to that, it's all about marketing the webinar itself. In the two or three weeks after that, it's all about marketing the content that was produced during the webinar. And then anything outside of that sort of six-week buffer, that six-week window that you've got around the webinar being the hook, then you're operating a different strategy. So you might be doing cold multi-channel outreach for January, for example, that's not webinar-related. Or you might be promoting an ebook at the end of March that's not webinar-related. If you get into a cycle of doing this on a quarterly basis then there is always a way that a prospect can find their way into the top of the funnel at any given moment in time. And if you're making sure that your content is on demand, then obviously they can pick and choose which funnel they come in at any given moment in time as well. So that enables you to build this really long-term nurturing capability where they can shift from funnel to funnel. You can stay top of funnel, but if there's three distinct funnels to be in the top of, you can jump from one hopper to the other as a prospect. You can pick and choose the content that you actually want to engage with. And then eventually you'll find the funnel that is useful to you as a prospect and you'll start to work your way down. So it's a long-term process that you're building by putting that infrastructure in place. There are two shining examples of where webinars have delivered exceptional outcomes. So uh, one is my pal, Simon Severino, who runs Strategy Sprints. He runs quarterly webinars with 12 partners, and he took on 5,500 new customers over the course of 2020-21 with eight people in his employ. And the average spend was between about 1,000 and 21,000 euro, and many of them bought multiple times. The other one is Tom Matson. Now, Tom Matson is the goat of this kind of approach. So he's got strategic alliances with the likes of Chet Holmes, uh, Tony Robbins, and you know, those $100 million alliances. And then he goes down to the $10 million alliances and the $1 million alliances, and it's all done through webinar and a live networking uh, event that he runs, I think, once or twice a year. And hundreds of millions of dollars are traded o- over those three days. It's just stunning. Yeah, it's, it's all about how... You know, if you think about marketing funnels as sitting parallel next to each other and you can choose which funnel you fall into based on your preference type of content that you engage with as a prospect. But there's also the concept of stacking your funnels one on top of the other as well. And some funnels are purely designed as the hopper, the the very top of funnel. Mm-hmm. And in their own right, they don't have a mid-funnel, but you're not going to generate an SQL at the bottom of the they're, they're a filter. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a, a filtering process at the very top of the funnel in order to get you down into the next stage. And I think typically people see webinars as that. It's the very top of funnel. You get poor, on, a, on an average webinar, you get poor engagement, you get a lack of volume of attendees. People just don't see it as a, a customer generating pipeline function. It depends on how you utilize them. So, you know, you can do mass attendance thought leadership webinars. You can do small round tables. Like we we had a customer last year that did a wine tasting webinar during COVID. So he sent very intimate 20, 25 people. He sent a box of wine and cheese out to each, each person, which is a great excuse to get their address, which is great for other marketing activities. <laughs> and all of the people, I think all bar one turned up and the engagement was excellent. He booked, you know, a dozen calls off the back of that. It's a really high conversion rate to um, to sales qualification. So it all depends on the type of he made over hundred grand, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he made two hundred and fifty grand off of a cold lead just from that one webinar, but then also generated six figures worth of pipeline. And and he now does that on a quarterly basis. But he also does thought leadership webinars that sit as the sort of hopper or the filter on top of that. So if yeah. you run them through a, a mass attendance thought leadership webinar then through a round table, then to an in-person event or something like that over the course of three to six months. You've got such great engagement with that person. You know exactly what they want and need because you've surveyed them multiple times or you've asked them those qualification questions multiple times in different formats. And say so when you actually meet them face-to-face, it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer. The conversation just goes from there. So that, that's the way that we like to look at it and making sure that there's different options in terms of these funnel types because people learn in different ways. People like podcasts, people like video, people like eBooks and articles. So you've got yeah. to offer them the choice. So again, this is really interesting because um, there's a tool called Interactor. I'm sure there are many others uh, that allow you to do guided videos. So uh, you can put two or three video choices up and then the customer decides which one that they're going to follow. So it's, uh, you know, make your own story. But again, I think what's really fascinating is just how much more intimate this kind of thinking is than the blast it out noisy marketing uh, that most people do. So I'm really very curious again, I do want to get an answer to this. When we're looking at that mid uh, to long-term pipeline, how do you value that when you've grown up in a culture which is all fixated on transactions now? (sighs) The data has to lead you. Like I said, I come from a data background and I think more and more CROs, CSAs, CMOs are starting to, heads of commercial functions are starting to think now about the KPIs that matter. And like you say, more of them are starting to think less about immediate short-term opportunity. If you've got a Salesforce dashboard and it's saying opportunities that are going to close in the next month or by the end of this month, that's even worse when it's a static date. So as you get closer to the end of the month, it's just shortening the time period that you're looking at. It it doesn't help. It's not giving you any understanding of what your medium to long-term pipeline looks like. So what, what I would say is encourage your team to look at the six to nine month horizon instead of the one to three month horizon. Look at the deals that are really early stage pipelines, stage one or two, or it's probably just contacts at this point, not even deals. Look at the growth of that metric. How many more people are engaging with your content? How many more people are turning up to your webinars or reading your ebooks? 
then you can do a, an actual calculation of once you've got the time under the belt and the data under your belt, and it takes time to build that, then you can actually look at, okay, say someone that entered the pipeline the very first stage seven months ago, what's the percentage chance that they actually become an SQL? How long does it take for them on average to become an SQL? And then you can start to understand, well, if our average order value is 100K and there's a 15% conversion rate from contact to SQL, then I know that 100K's worth of top of funnel pipeline is going to result in 15K's worth of proper sales opportunity. People have got a good handle on what their close rates are beyond SQL. It's pretty common, but it's that top of funnel to mid funnel piece. And it's the, da the data just has to guide you and you just have to optimize the funnel to understand where you can increase those sort of micro conversion rates as you go down the funnel between prospect and MQL and SQL. Okay. I, I have an ulterior motive behind this question, which I'll explain in a minute. Are you being commissioned to do webinars to target one specific organization? We have done, but generally speaking, it's targeting a persona within a particular industry. So CSOs within tech, for example, okay. it's okay. very rarely what we would call an ABM webinar, but we have done those before. Yeah. Okay. Because to my mind, I mean, one of the biggest problems is the amount of pipeline that gets stuck, you know, constipated in the middle. And, you know, because there's poor qualification, I'm just thinking there, is there a way to try and uh, re-spark opportunities by doing sort of many targeted webinars, driving a message? We actually, if you, um, maybe Marcus could share the link afterwards, but the very first webinar that we did a couple of weeks ago in this current series, we were talking about different formats. We talked about wine tasting, talked about mass attendance webinars. What we call an ABM webinar is very specifically targeted at one company, one team, or even one individual. And if you've got the resource and you've got the knowledge of what that team or that individual is looking to learn or looking to talk about, then you can really utilize this strategy. So one of our customers last year did this basically invited the person that they were trying to sell to onto the webinar as a guest mm -hmm. and then invited their team and other people in their organization as the audience. So the whole thing was specifically targeted at one company. The guest speaker was the person that they were trying to sell to and they you know, fabricated a whole conversation and a, a sort of case study or an interview around this particular challenge in this case, it was a female CTO and her passion was about getting more females into technology. So they did a whole webinar about how do we, how do, we do this? How do we get more females into technology? What, what works? What doesn't from your experience? Guest, tell me all about that. And that conversation ended up turning into a couple of hundred thousand dollar deal. And then it ended up turning into a multi-million dollar, multi-year deal. Well, um, again, so it's possible. That's a perfect example of thinking as the customer. A lot of people might think of that as being manipulative and a bit creepy, but actually it's not. It's about really thinking about what the CTO's job to get done was, um, which was to get more women in uh, tech. And it served both sides. So it's a win-win. I'm really comfortable with that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. As long as there's value, as long as there's mutual value on both sides, the strategy yeah. that you use, like you say, as long as it's not too creepy, I think there's, there's, there are boundaries to it, but there's a huge black box of space that you could go to any corner of to find the solution. And, you know, virtual events is a great way to house that black box to be the infrastructure for that. You just need to find a new and innovative way of using it. 
I'm thinking as well, is this a way of rapidly testing whether you're uh, targeting the right people? Because I'm thinking, you know, in terms of audience attendees, the kind of questions, the kind of interaction, it may be that it's a, a very quick way of establishing, have you got a market fit? Are you targeting the right people? We had a situation a little bit like that. One of our clients was targeting EDI officers, um, equality, diversity and inclusion and accessibility people within universities. And they they offer a piece of technology that helps educational institutions be more inclusive, uh, more diverse in the way that they market to potential students. And we found that, so we tried to target people in Europe and the UK, and we found that actually there's laws in Europe that have, met, have basically meant that a lot of institutions have already got to this particular point. They're already using technology to solve this problem. And we've worked that out really quickly because we were targeting Europe and we were getting really low registration rates because it wasn't resonating exactly the same profile of persona in Europe as the people that we were targeting in America. But we were seeing much higher registration rates, much higher return emails asking questions about the, the software. Because in America, they don't have these laws where they have to have certain levels of accessibility compliance. So over there, it was like a new concept to them. But over here, it's something that's already been in place for a while. And our customers' competitors had already got to got to the, the customer base. So you can really quickly work out by looking at registration rates, looking at engagement pre-webinar. We encourage our clients also to call people as they register. People are coming into that sort of registration bucket. What we encourage them to do is to create a gold list and a silver list. So people that are bang on ICP go into the gold list. Bang on ideal customer profile. Sorry, using yeah. jargon. People yeah. that are bang on ICP go into a gold list and those people get a call a week or two before the webinar. And you say, hi, just wanted to remind you that the webinar's on this date. Literally looking forward to having you there. Can I just ask, what questions would you like to be answered? What topics would you like to be covered? You know, what, what are you looking to get out of this webinar that you've signed up for? And that does two things. It helps you understand the market that you're targeting and whether there's a, a fit at all, because they might have signed up thinking it's something completely different, which tells you a lot of things about your proposition and your invite copy and things like that. But it also tells you exactly what you need to cover in the content of the webinar as well. So you make sure that you're meeting the needs and solving the problem statements of the people that are coming to your webinar. So it does a lot of filtering for you. It really helps you to understand whether the proposition resonates, how deeply it resonates, you know, whether it resonates at all, and to what level you can help them solve their problems through a one-to-many educational medium. So it's, yeah, it's a really interesting sort of way of doing that filtering, that really top of funnel hopper filter that we were talking about earlier. It, it does sound, though, that there's a huge amount of data management. If you were trying to do this on your own and do it properly, how much resource do you need behind it? So we, again, peek behind the curtain, but we the way that we operate Atomly managed service webinars that we put on for our customers, we have one delivery manager. And that person acts as the liaison between the client and us. We have a series of suppliers that contribute various things like copywriting services, graphic design services, et cetera, et cetera. But really, it's possible, if you've got a good system in place, it's possible to do all of this with one person. We obviously then utilize an SDR agency to help with the cold calling and the lead list building and stuff like that. So if you're doing the full end-to-end -end process yourself internally, most enterprise organizations have a team of like half a dozen people focused on this. You have 
what we would call a delivery manager, the sort of project manager to get everything to pull together the content, get everything organized, get the guest on, all that kind of stuff. A couple of SDRs, you know, maybe a market researcher, and then one or two sales reps that are going to be closing afterwards. Uh, so with a pod of half a dozen people, it's very possible to do this. We basically do it as because we've got a very refined process. There's about two or three people involved core in that process, and then we outsource the rest. Okay. It's possible to do it with relatively little resource if you focus in the right places. So in terms of the critical data to manage then, if you are doing it yourself, what, what's really important to pay attention to? And what are the leading indicators? I would say the important metric that you're looking for is registration velocity. So not the number of registrations, but say, let's say we're T minus 10 days away from our webinar. Do we have, or what percentage of our target? So let's say we're targeting 100 people to come. 10 days out, we've only got 30 registrations. So we're 30% towards our target. If you then track that over time, and as you get closer, are you seeing a, an increase? Spike or in a drop. Pr- yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's all about the, the sort of rate of change of that. So we don't look at the out-and-out number of registrations. We prefer to look more at how, how viral is the market. It's almost like virality of marketing, like how quickly is the word spreading about this webinar. We then also look at people that are registering that were on our original prospecting list versus people that have come inbound because obviously you're doing targeted outbound and you're sending messages to people to invite them to this webinar. But you're also posting things on LinkedIn, website, other places. And so people are inbound registering as well. And what you might find is that those people are less ICP than the people that you've targeted, obviously, because you can't control if someone fancies coming to your webinar, but they're not ahead of sales and you're targeting ahead of sales, then you know there's nothing you can really do about that. So that's another thing to really look out for is who, what's the profile of the types of people that are coming? What, where are we in this journey of we've got two weeks to go? Are we on target to, to hit the, the required number of people? And then it's all really just about, I mean, we, we heavily use Excel to do this, but we, we also use HubSpot as a CRM to do it as well. It's just about classifying the leads. Like I said, that gold and silver or gold, silver, bronze, however you want to do it, sort of tiering of your leads. And then when it comes to the actual webinar itself, obviously, percentage of people that turn up compared to registrants is a pretty key metric. If you're seeing really low conversion rates to from registration to attendance, it means that you're not doing a good enough job of notifying people, you know, doing that research call a week before that I mentioned a minute ago. You know, remind you know, the, the calendar invite might not be in the calendar situations like that before where people rely too heavily on LinkedIn. So you click, I'm going on LinkedIn. And then you have to download the calendar ICS file and put it into your calendar. LinkedIn doesn't put it in your calendar for you. Mm-hmm. So depending on the technology you use, you need to make sure that you're reminding people what the joining link is, what time it's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the kind of main things that we're looking for. Beyond the webinar itself, you know, there's loads of variables around quality of content and things that actually produce the number of survey um, survey respondents and then the number of SQRs that come off the back of that. But top of funnel, it's all about the kind of velocity, the profiling, the mix of people uh, that are joining or registering, and then how you actually transition them to get onto the webinar on the day at the right time and be ready to absorb the content that you've said so you're going to give them. My, my alarm bell goes off when I hear this because I suspect 
that there are a lot of people who will spend too much time getting ready to get ready before they execute. <laughs> and you know, perfection is the enemy of the good. So what is good enough? We typically would say somewhere around a 30% invite to registration rate is pretty good. So if you're inviting 1,000 people, you might get 250 to 300 registrants. From that to attendance, again, it's like 30 to 40%. So of those 250 people that registered, maybe 100 will actually turn up. Those proportional conversion stats, it doesn't matter if you're targeting 100 people, 1,000 people, or 10,000 people, those stats should be pretty similar. So what we say to people is just get going, build a lead list of 100 people, invite those 100 people. It doesn't take long to invite 100 people to a webinar if you're using especially if you're using automation. I mean, you can do that at the click of a finger, right? Then you go, okay, so then we'll, let's go and dig out another 900 leads. Let's get to 1,000. Then maybe let's get to 2,000 if we've got the time. So a lot of this is sort of time factor limited based on the tools that you're using, how many emails you can send per day or how many LinkedIn requests you can send per day. But realistically, just get going. Like get the first 100 people. If you get 10, 15 registrations off the first 100, then you're doing something right. So then go to the next 500 and then the next 500. It's, you know, it's always possible to, to tweak the landing page copy or tweak the invite email copy or the LinkedIn message copy. It doesn't have to be a static thing. So if you're not finding that it's working three weeks out, you know, we, we typically would say start promoting it four, three or four weeks before. Say so three weeks out, you've already sent 100 invites haven't really got any registrations yet. Okay, let's do some tweaking. Let's go to the next 500 people. And you're two weeks out from the webinar and you've got some more success. Then you double down on the stuff that works. Like you say, Marcus, if you wait forever to make it all perfect, everything's perfectly automated with mass personalization. And you know, you have to spend hours and hours and hours building perfect lead lists that are absolutely bang on ICP. It doesn't really help. Just getting going getting to understand what works. And even the first webinar, even if you present to an empty virtual room, it doesn't matter because you've done the process, you understand how it works, you've got the content which you can recycle. So just get going, give it a try. And if you want to cut corners, you can, you know, and not have to go through that trial and error process, then you can come to agencies like ours that do it for you. But really it's about failing fast and just learning the process. And usually it takes like three or four webinars before you actually get good at <laughs> this whole process. And it starts to bear fruit. Maybe, you know, if you're doing it on a monthly basis, it might be three or four months until you start to bear some real fruit uh, from scratch. What are the big reasons, the, the most common reasons why people fail to attract an audience? I think it's reliance on inbound marketing processes. So a lot of people say, we're doing a webinar, we're going to add it to the newsletter or we're going to post it on LinkedIn, or we're going to do some ads or something like that. And it's really passive. Yeah, you're not actually targeting people that you know would be interested in the subject matter. So we do, we focus probably 80, I'd say 80% on outbound methodologies and 20% on that sort of passive marketing inbound type. And actually, when when you look at the results, I'd probably say more like, it's actually a 50-50 split in terms of the audience that turns up on the day as to which channel they came through. So you can put 80% of your effort into outbound, targeted outbound invites, and only 50% of your audience are from that list. But those 50% are much more valuable than the 50% that have nominated themselves to come to your webinar. Because, 
you know, you get interns and students and graduates yeah. and people that you're not really targeting that just want to learn more about the subject matter, yeah. but they're not buyers. So I think people rely far too heavily on the on that side of things. They don't, when they are doing the outbound strategies, they're not taking their time to understand who their ICP actually is. A bit contradictory to what I just said, but you need to map out your ICP first. You don't need to spend tens, dozens of hours building the perfect lead list, but you definitely need to spend a decent amount of time understanding who the persona that you're targeting should be and making sure that when you're targeting these people, they are what I would call persona adjacent. They share the same job title or they're very similar job titles because otherwise you're going to be trying to generate content that's too broad. It's not specific enough. Well, the, the one thing I would say with that is just double check and focus on the function rather than the job title. Because again, look at the job that that role has to get done and focus on messaging to, to that. Yes, exactly. So they, yeah, they're more likely to share the same problem statements and therefore you can provide the thought leadership and the solution to that if they are responsible for achieving the same things within a business. CRA, CCA, CSA, it's all around about the same place. Really, Um, really interesting. Tom, we've come to the top of the hour, sadly, but this has been really instructive. Thank you. Tell me something. You've got a golden ticket and you can whiz back in time and whisper in the ear of the idiot Tom at 23. Uh, What one choice bit of advice would you give him you know he'd have ignored? Well, for me, it's not that long ago, actually. I'm only, I'm only 30 now. I've a, learned... a lot happens in seven years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had exactly. The, the Oscar Wilde quote. When I was 14, I couldn't believe how ignorant my father was. When he was 21, I couldn't uh, believe how much he'd learned. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, especially since run a couple of my own businesses over the last three or four years and just the, the amount of sort of pace of change of knowledge that you acquire through mm-hmm. your mid-career. I'd say my, I'm in my mid-career now. Is, is quite astonishing. But I think, yeah, if I was going to go back, when I was 23, I was working at Intel at the time doing, you know, market analytics, market research role. And I think the one thing that I would say, and I, I do a lot of mentoring actually with university students as well. And the thing that I always say to them is, don't just rely on the institutional knowledge and the, the cultural company knowledge that you're actually sitting within. Take the time to go out and learn things that are of interest to you or of interest to your future career. Networking is far more valuable. External networking is far more valuable than internal networking after a certain point. Once you've hit the sort of glass ceiling within the company that you're operating in, there's only so much you can absorb from the people sat around you. There's real evidence that suggests that where you have range in a team or range in a career, it allows you to come up with much more effective creative solutions. So there's a powerful, strong argument there for getting that uh, diversity. And I hate to break it to you, but bad luck, Sunshine. You're at the beginning of your career because you're going to be working until your 80s or 90s. Hopefully not. Well, obviously, you're going to be wildly successful and retire halfway through your career. But I think get long and buried by the time. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Okay, on that slightly macabre note, how can people get hold of you? Probably the best place is LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash the sales architect. Feel free to email me as well, tom at the salesarchitect.co.uk. Or if you want to talk about webinars, tom at atomly.com. I'm sure the links will be uh, in the description of the podcast afterwards. But yeah, please do reach out. I'm happy to have conversations 
not just about webinars, but general go-to-market strategy, sales and marketing strategies for uh, SMB and mid-market size businesses. Wonderful. So what would you recommend in terms of reading or content to uh, understand uh, better marketing and understanding the customer? There's a couple of things I noted down, actually. Um, I'm quite a strong promoter of the book the platform revolution which i think we've discussed before marcus as well so it's a fantastic book that talks all about the kind of development of platform as a service as a as a kind of um niche industry it talks about case studies of how uber solved their supply and demand side challenges like do you need drivers first or do you need riders first it talks about all of this kind of stuff so if you're building a platforms particularly technology but a platform business with multiple sides to it and a a platform economics to it then that book is just golden for for that a friend of mine he's a great sales coach aaron evans and he runs a company called flow state sales with another ex-colleague of mine raf he's got a brilliant youtube channel so that's aaron evans sales training i think it's called on youtube brilliant for like younger SDRs or young BDs that are sort of breaking in. But he talks a lot about sales methodology, questioning techniques. He's he's an excellent sales coach. And then finally, some of the blog content that's out there from these kind of lead generation tools and agencies. So Skylead is a great tool that we've used in the past, multi-channel outreach tool for email and LinkedIn. Their blog is brilliant. I don't know how they do it, but they consistently churn out every week brilliant content on their blog. And also Lemlist as well. Lots of people are familiar with uh, Guillaume, the the head of Lemlist. Uh, he's become a superstar over the last couple of years on on multiple channels. But the Lemlist blog is great as well, and very kind of tactical advice on how to utilize these tools. Excellent, Tom. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Marcus. So, Tom Parker, thank you very much. This is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor Podcast. If you're the founder or owner, CEO of a tech company with the goal of generating annual revenues in excess of $20 million, at the moment, I'm helping companies just like yours achieve real sustainable hypergrowth with highly engaged and productive employees and clients who stick with you year after year. If you're up for a brief conversation, I'm happy to share some of the ideas and strategies that can help you achieve the same. If you want to get in touch, Marcus at laughs-last.com or DM me on LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.